Welcome to the Apostles Houston podcast, and thanks for listening. As a community following Jesus in Houston, we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the kinds of things Jesus did. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we invite you to join us for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. in Houston Heights. For more information, visit us online at ApostlesHouston.org. I have to confess that it feels a bit uh, awkward um, for me as the interim to introduce someone who you all already know much better than I do. Um, So it's almost the reverse. I I teased at at prayer time that maybe I just have you all raise hands and say something about Andrew so that I would learn a little bit more about he. Um, But it has been my pleasure to get to know him and his wife and their children. Um, And it's an honor and a pleasure to have him here with us this morning. So if you'd welcome um, Andrew Gabarino. And Andrew, can I pray for you? Yes, please. Will you join me? Let's pray. Grace Heavenly Father, we pray that you would open your word to our ears and to our hearts and our lives through this servant of yours, Andrew. And I pray that you would anoint him, that his words would be your words, and that our lives would be transformed. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Welcome. Well, thank you for that introduction. Um, again, it's really meaningful to be here. So my wife Abigail and I started coming to Apostles back in 2014, right, as we were getting started as a church, Um, so kind of part of the launch group, and we were here for a few years and went away uh, to Philadelphia for a couple years for school and other things, and we came back about a year and a half ago, and um, that was actually quite a powerful experience for me to come back to the church um, after a, a big gap of five years or so, and to just appreciate the impact that this church has made on my life and continues to do so. So um, I just want to say that, that it's really meaningful for me to be here and for the first time to be up here sharing uh, with all of you, feeling like I know you so well and have been here for, um, gotten to know you in so many different ways. So, um, Well, as we turn to God's word, let's pray again, but never can pray too much. So please join me in prayer. Lord, may my words and my preaching not be with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that our faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on the power of God. So this Lent, we've been talking about different practices associated with Lent. And so far, Canon Craig shared with us about fasting and about giving alms, about giving um, uh, generously during Lent. Today, we're going to talk about prayer. Prayer is another one of the practices that we do during Lent. There's many types of prayer, different topics we could talk about. It's almost like such a big topic, it's hard to know where to start. Um, but today, what I want to talk about is personal daily prayer. So the kind of prayer we build into the fabric of our lives. Um, so prayer that we do typically alone and regularly, usually every day around the same time. So my invitation for all of us in this Lent is just to engage in that pattern of regular prayer uh, as we lead into Easter. So if you're someone who has a practice of daily prayer already, to um, commit to that again and maybe to try something new over Lent and see how that goes and potentially bring that into the post-Lent season. And if you're not someone who has a daily practice of prayer, then just to invite you into it. Lent's a good uh, chance to try out things new, um, and I think you'll find that it's a blessing if you try it. So the rest of our time today, I just want to do three things. First, for about half our time to talk about what is prayer, why we do it, and what I feel like in Lent we connect most with. Um, Secondly, just say a word about 
how to pray and how to get started, maybe, if you're not someone who has a daily practice of prayer. And third, um, to really drive into Lent and what it is about Lent that brings out something really particular about prayer. So first, what is prayer? Um, Well, for that, let's turn to our reading from the Gospel. Um, Our reading comes in the first chapter of Mark. We've been in the first chapter of Mark quite a bit in the last few weeks. And it's the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Um, So he's just done some of his first miracles, healed some people, cast out demons. And after he does that, preaching the word, he goes to Peter's family's house. It's their extended family's house. They all live together. And Peter's mother is there, and she has a fever, and she's very sick. Jesus heals her and then stays there. And pretty soon, the very same day, the word gets around, and everyone hears that Jesus is there, and he can heal people. And it says in Mark that just before our passage, the whole town comes to the house uh, to be healed. And Jesus is spending all day healing people and busy with that. And then that's when we come to this uh, passage. So what does Jesus do at that point? It says, rising very early in the morning, so this is the next day, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. So Jesus sneaks out of the house uh, while everyone is still sleeping, very early in the morning, probably like 4 a.m., it says while it's still dark, so that he could pray in peace by himself. And we know from elsewhere in the Gospels, like this isn't a one-time thing for Jesus. It's not like this is a special opportunity for him to pray. He doesn't do it that often. We know that he's praying regularly. We see him throughout the Gospels go off by himself, often to a mountain or to a desolate place to pray. Um, As a first century uh, Jewish person, he would have prayed two to three times a day and would have had a fixed set of prayers that he would have prayed, including the Psalms and other traditional prayers, along with his uh, personal prayer to God. So Jesus prayed. Now, maybe this seems a little bit obvious, like, of course, Jesus prayed. I mean, he's Jesus, right? So tends to do the holy things, right? (laughs) But I think, actually, it's worth thinking about a little bit because maybe it's a bit counterintuitive. I think we often think of prayer as something that we do remedially, right? Like we pray when things are kind of going bad and we need some help, we're feeling panicked. We pray when we need to confess to God something. That tends maybe to be the way we think about prayer. But the fact that Jesus prayed, of course, challenges whether that's really the essential part of prayer. Why did Jesus pray, a person who obviously had the most deep and intimate relationship with the Father you could have, and yet he prayed, he prayed regularly, he prayed diligently, he prayed by himself. I think the reason for this is that what prayer is really about, ultimately and at its core, is being in God's presence, and that Jesus, above all, desired to be in God's presence, and that's why Jesus prayed. It's that simple. So the Anglican Catechism is helpful here as we think about what is prayer essentially. And um, the Catechism, if, uh, if you're not familiar, is just an introduction to the Christian faith, and it's organized in question and answer format. So it asks a question about the faith, and it gives you the answer. And it asks in one place, what is prayer? And the answer, prayer is turning my heart toward God to listen and to speak with him. Prayer is turning my heart toward God to listen and speak with him. So what comes first? Turning our hearts toward God. And out of that stance of orientation to God's presence comes a lot of the things we associate with prayer, listening and speaking to God. The next question in the catechism drives this point home further. It's asked, so that question is, what should you seek in prayer? And the answer, in prayer, I should seek not only God's provision for my needs, but fellowship with God, 
who made me for fellowship with himself. Fellowship with God who made me for fellowship with himself. That's the core purpose of prayer and why we enter into it. So in prayer, we're connecting with what is most true about ourselves as people, fundamentally, that we need God's presence, that we are most ourselves in God's presence, and that God is present right here and every, right now in every moment. But the thing is, in the normal course of the day, right, we're not as aware of that. So prayer is an opportunity to intentionally turn toward that reality. I think there's two moments of that. One is an inward turn, the other is an outward turn. In the inward sense, we turn into the reality that God is within us, by his spirit is present in our hearts and is speaking to us, and the question is whether we're listening or not, right? And outwardly, we turn to the reality that God is in all things, that God's in our circumstances, right? Maybe that God is even in the beauty around us in nature, that God's even in our enemies and is present with, with our difficulties and our circumstances and holds those. That's, that's the outward reality that we turn toward. So prayer is turning toward the presence of God. That's fundamentally what it's about. So what does this mean for our practice of prayer? I just want to highlight one thing, and that's showing up for prayer, showing up for prayer. The spiritual writer Ronald Roheiser says this about prayer. All the great spiritual masters offer only one non-negotiable rule, only one. You have to show up for prayer, and you have to show up regularly. So showing up, of course, obviously means actually praying, right? Showing up means showing up. Um, not perfectly, but faithfully. No one in this room prays every day. I definitely don't. Um, no one in this room likes praying much of the time. That's something that's universally felt by God's people, that because we're sinful humans, it often doesn't, we don't want to. It's something we have to be disciplined about. And everyone in this room started from zero with their prayer life, and everyone's still learning. So I want to be just open about that for myself, and also that, that this is an invitation and not a guilt about not praying. But the thing is, if we're not actually praying, right, obviously we're not showing up to God's presence. But that's kind of the obvious thing about showing up. There's another aspect to it. Showing up also means coming to God honestly as we find ourselves, like showing God our honest selves. I think we often think, even implicitly, maybe not as we actually believe, but what we really act on, that we think that God wants us to come as we think he wants us to be, calm and pious or joyful, ready to receive his presence. But I think being in God's presence means just that, actually being present with God. So the same writer, Rollheiser, describes it this way. In prayer, we often bracket what we're actually feeling and instead try to crank up praise, reverence, and gratitude to God. But what's most important is that we pray what's inside of us and not what God, we think God, would like to see inside of us, end quote. So the fact is, what God would like to see is us, full stop. That's what God desires from us in prayer, is us. Not dressed up or hiding, but our honest selves. Jesus says a couple times in the Gospels that we must be like little children if we want to come to him and follow him. Um, I think this really drives home what it means to be honest with God in prayer. So kids, until they reach a certain age, 
children, it's really shocking almost. They always bring you their true self, right? There's no hiding their emotions or what they need. Um, the other day, I was picking up my daughter from daycare, and there was a little boy standing there, and he happened to be getting picked up at the same time by his mom. And he's new. He just came into the class. And he's standing there, and just straight up, he just goes, I cried today. I'm like, okay. And the mom goes, oh, okay. She's feeling overwhelmed. I can tell she feels guilty about leaving her you know, kid at a new school. And he goes, yeah, I cried today. Um, Miss Linda is scary because she's too loud. And, uh, yeah. and never mind that Miss Linda's like around the corner. You know, there's no... He didn't even think about that, I'm sure, right? He's just putting it out there. He's saying, Mom, this is how I feel. Also, other teacher, here's how I feel. Deal with it, right? Um, I don't... Kids is, don't ever think well, I need to work out this feeling or this problem to a certain extent before I bring it to, to my parents, right? We need, to, we need to figure this out. No, you actually have to teach children to do that, right? Um, children openly admit their weaknesses without self-consciousness. They have to learn that shame and self-consciousness. And we've all learned that shame and self-consciousness over our lives, right? And that's why it's so hard to bring that to God. Our psalmist models this for us Oh, deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Full stop. Right? It's this open admission that I am too weak, I need you, Lord. That's it. Um, and if you read other Psalms, you see all kind of moments of this in different contexts, whether it's persecution, whether it's guilt, whether it's um, just feeling completely abandoned. Uh, and Jesus himself, again, the great, uh, our great example in prayer, prays on the cross. Psalm 22, Lord, oh Lord, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he just lays, that's it, full stop. So my point is not that every time in prayer we must achieve that childlike spiritual state. My point is actually that the point is prayer requires a little of us basically besides that. Just saying to God, I'm scared, I'm hungry, I'm bored. Wherever it is that we find ourselves. So we come to prayer as we are, bored, tired, angry, longing, lustful, vindictive, just okay, wherever it is that we are. And it's not that that's all there is. We come to prayer in order that we receive from God what it is we need in that. Because if we don't bring God that, what are we gonna, we can't receive from God what we need in that moment. And it's not always affirmation. I'm not saying we bring to God, God always is affirming us like the false image of parenthood that sometimes we receive in our culture. But it's that, it's that God gives us encouragement, conviction, correction, forgiveness, the power to change, comfort, reassurance, love, just presence with us. Just presence with us. This is something that it took me a long time to figure out as a parent, and I still don't quite get it. Um, Sometimes kids just need you to be present. I, I guess I'm not emotionally aware enough to realize that that's what I need sometimes too. Um, but I always think, what is it they want me to solve right now? What is it, what, what do I need to do to make them feel better? And a lot, sometimes, frequently, it's just, they just want to hug. They just want you to be present. And I was thinking about this week, and maybe for the first time, I sort of realized why that is, maybe. It's that if you think from their perspective, you are everything as the parent. 
like they haven't quite learned yet, especially when they're really young, that there is sources of good outside of you, right? They haven't even identified that there could be anything else they could do than turn to you. And so your presence is so comforting as a parent because you're their all, right? And that's, that's the attitude that God offers. That's, that's the stance and, and presence that God offers to us if we come to him in honesty. Um, one of the times, just I was also thinking about when I really identified with this, and one of the times, excuse me, in my adult life, I felt most like a child was in confronting the loss of my brother. Um, I lost my brother when I was 19 years old, and it wasn't until I was about 25, 24, 25, that I really started dealing with that. Um, and during that time, I, it was a crisis of, of, of many types, but of prayer especially. I found it so hard to identify with God in prayer. And because I'm an obsessive person, my response to that was just try really hard to pray. Um, but what I came to realize is, and what I was trying to do is something I received as a child. I'm not sure this is, I was actually taught this. But what I received as a kid was that when you come to prayer, you need to be in that pious state, right? For me, it was this language of quiet time, which isn't actually a bad word because prayer does involve quiet. But the way I processed that as a kid was quiet insofar your soul is quiet. Like you're coming to God in this state of holiness. But in grieving my brother, I couldn't muster that state. That state wasn't available to me. And that state is, was childlike because when you lose a sibling, especially at an age where you're still going into adulthood, there is an element of childhood and growing out that is not available to you anymore to grow out of. Um, but that breakthrough came for me when I received from God the affirmation, that's all he wanted me to do. Excuse me. So, some things. How do we turn to God in prayer? Well, prayer is such a big topic. Like, I could give a whole sermon series about prayer. Actually, though, I think I thought about it, and I couldn't give it <laughs> because there's a lot of people in this room who'd be much better at it than me. So I wanted to just take a, time, a, a second to pause. I almost wanted to, like, brainstorm, to Canon Craig's point, about, hey, what's some things we could do in prayer? But then I thought we would go into lunch, and that wouldn't be a great outcome. Um, so I'll just point to some resources that we have at the church, um, life groups. It's a time where we pray together, but it's also a time where we brainstorm and learn from each other about what, um, how we pray and what do we do in our spiritual lives. And in fact, in this time, um, the next couple lessons or the next lesson at least will be about prayer, just kind of following our sermon series. So life groups, we have a prayer team. Um, Julie Gillespie is in the back, um, and she organizes that. And that's an opportunity to be prayed for but also to join, potentially, if that's something that you're feeling called to, and also to learn from others as they pray for you how to pray. Um, third is the Book of Common Prayer. So this is a huge resource as Anglicans, something that was a big turning point for my life when I started using it. Um, there are the Psalms in the Book of Common Prayer, but also fixed prayers called collects. If you go through the Christian year, there's a collect for each week. And there's a lot of meaning in just following that along, and each week you have your own prayer, and it follows the church calendar. Um, and we do have some other resources in the lobby. There's some great books out there as well, if you could press more into prayer. Um, so 
probably that's the best that could be said by me about this. Um, but maybe one more thing. If you are someone who's just getting, has, doesn't have a daily prayer practice, maybe just a word of advice. And this is consensus advice from some writers in, uh, about prayer that I really respect. Um, how do we get started in prayer, daily prayer? Well, one is to find a place where you can sit quietly and comfortably. Um, then find a time in your day that you can pray every day. Um, many people recommend starting with five minutes. Because like, if you start with 15, 30, you probably won't do it, and then you'll just feel bad, and then it won't happen. Right? So starting with not too much. Um, and even setting a timer. It's a little weird, but so that you, know, you don't pray a different amount every day based on how you're feeling. It's important to be consistent in that way. And not necessarily the same time in your day, but the same part of your day. This is real practical, but um, for me, that's after I drop with kids at daycare, I come home and I work from home, but before I start work, that's my time. And I always know that time's gonna exist 99% of my days. Um, but it's a different time. It's like 9.30, 9 o'clock, 8.30, depending on when things happen in the morning, right? And so whatever that is for you, just like a consistent place in your day, and as far as what to do, there's so many resources. Um, we're going to book a common prayer, the Psalms. There's some great apps for your phone. And the devotionals, I mean, the, the resources are, are limitless in that. So it's just a word about it if you're getting started. But as we close, let me talk a little bit about prayer and Lent, what I think prayer has to do with Lent. Let's turn back to our reading from Mark and pick up where we left off. So as we saw, Jesus got up early, he snuck out of the house, and he goes to a remote place to pray alone. Pretty soon, Peter and some others go looking for him. And they ask, or they tell him, everyone's looking for you, Jesus. Right? What's the subtext of that? Jesus, what are you doing? <laughs> like, why did you leave before anybody knew? And I, I, some commentators kind of agree that the subtext is this. Peter, he's at Peter's house. It's like, you just healed my mom, and she's giving you all this hospitality, why don't you receive that hospitality? And in fact, why don't we just hang out here at Capernaum for a while? Everyone's coming to us. It's perfect. We got a house. We're going to hang out. We're going to heal people, cast out some demons. <laughs> but Jesus says, he knows, nope, that's not my calling. My calling is to be an itinerant preacher, to wander around with no place for my head, um, to be persecuted, to be chased out by crowds, to be a stranger wherever he goes, like that. That's not an easy calling, but Jesus knows that that's what God's calling him to. Mark kind of draws this out for us in, a, in an interesting way. He says at the very beginning that Jesus went to a desolate place. And some people who have written about this passage note that the language sounds a lot like a couple verses before when Jesus goes out to the wilderness. A desolate place and wilderness are very similar. And so what we see here is that Jesus' his journey into the wilderness isn't a one-time thing, right? Jesus is called consistently in his life and ministry into the wilderness in obedience to God um, to a difficult call. And why does, and another thing, there's another prayer in Mark. This comes at the beginning. There's another prayer at the end, at Gethsemane. Jesus is praying before his death and asking his father, if it's in your will, but if not, I'm, obeying, I'm, I'm willing and obedient to you. Right? So, and that's the ultimate moment of Lent for Jesus, of stepping into God's call. So why does Jesus pray at those moments? I think one answer 
is that Jesus knew that in those times, by moving into the wilderness, he was moving into God's presence. And that's where God's presence was really to be found. And God's will was to be fulfilled. And I think that's why we also pray in Lent. Right? Because in Lent, we're reenacting uh, Jesus' 40-day journey into the wilderness. That's why it's 40 days long. Um, we practice that reality that we're called to follow him in that path and pick up our crosses. crosses. But we don't do difficult things in Lent merely out of obligation. Right? Lent's not about disciplining ourselves fundamentally. It's not about proving our devotion to ourselves or to anybody else. We practice Lent because we believe that it leads us deeper into God's presence, that in the wilderness, God is to be found. It's not for its own sake, but before, because we think we can find God through these practices. Because if we're not finding God's presence in the wilderness, right, the wilderness is just the wilderness, and hunger is just hunger, and almsgiving is just wasting your money, and all of this suffering is to no purpose. But what, what makes it purposeful is because we find God in these practices. So Lent is about taking a step out of our ordinary lives and entering into rhythms that disrupt us and turn us towards our need for God. And that's why prayer is such an important part of Lent. Lent reveals to us that we need God's presence, that we are weak. In fasting, right, we learn about anger and our dependence on material things. In almsgiving, we learn about our greed and our insecurity, about money. In times of silence and meditation, we learn about our restlessness and our lack of depth. If you think about it, a lot of those things are very childlike things about us that we can't, that are still within us, much as we want to deny that in our daily lives. And especially fasting, right? Lent returns us to that really fundamental need. I'm hungry. Who is it that gives us our first food, right? Our mothers and our fathers. So our need for God right, isn't actually some abstract thing. And Lent reveals that to us. Our need for God is very material and real. And in prayer, we turn to God because of those weaknesses. And in those weaknesses, we come into God's presence in prayer. So my, my encouragement and call for us today is simple. It's just to make prayer a part of our Lenten practice. So if you're fasting, then use the time that you would have eaten maybe to enter into time of prayer. Uh, if you're giving something up for a Lent, then when you have the urge for that thing, offer that up to God. Be fi- maybe thankfulness for God for the other things that are in your life. Um, thankfulness to God that he's still sufficient, even if you're lacking that thing. If you're giving alms, pray for those who give to you, and if possible, have them pray for you as well. Um, start a regular prayer pattern. Use a Lent devotional and, and, and use it every day, and of course you'll miss some days, but that's okay and see how that feels, and carry it through Easter and forward, maybe, if that feels like something that's life-giving. For me, I'm challenging myself to add an afternoon time of prayer. It's hard for me, because I get panicked in the middle of that afternoon. I feel like I need to get more things done, and I'm feeling challenged to like, set aside five or 10 minutes there and to pray. So I'm gonna try that during Lent and see if I can. Um, so uh, that's, that's my simple challenge for us today. So my hope and prayer for all of us is that over the next four weeks of Lent, God would lead us into a deeper knowledge of him and deeper into his presence, including in prayer. So in that spirit, let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have made us for yourself, 
and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Look with compassion upon the heartfelt desires of us, your servants, and purify our disordered affections, that we may behold your eternal glory in the face of Christ Jesus, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Thanks again for listening. We hope this resource has been helpful to you. If you have questions or are just looking for more information, you can check out our website at apostleshouston.org.